Welcome to Guarding Talk back on 2 and you RFM. Greg Richard joined by Scott Sharp. Great to see you back in the studio, Scott. Thank you. Well, what a beautiful day out there. A bit of rain. It's, uh, you know, not so sunny. Plants are going to be loving it. Well, if you like the overcast day, it's a nice day for you. Well, I think if you're a plant, you'd love it very much. <laughs> what do you got for us today, Scott? I thought we'd talk about a plant that's uh, totally out in flower at the moment, Tipichina and all the different varieties they've got. Uh, spraying your lawn for bindies before winter and New Guinean patience. An old plant, but looking spectacular at the moment. New Guinean patience. New Guinea, they guess where they're from. Uh, Fiji? Yeah. <laughs> it's an island to the north of us, you're close, but... <laughs> of course, you've got any questions for Scott Sharp, you can give us a call. And first up, we've got Stephen from Tingara Heights, and he's got a question about army grubs. Very good afternoon, Stephen. How can we help you? Oh, good day. Um, yeah, this is the second time I've had the uh, army grubs. It's originally just um, with the chemicals and that, and um, most with just with detergent, you know, to bring them up out of the ground. But I've got them um, back again this time, but... The question I had for you, I had a um, fellow say that um, he'd had a lot of the success with um, chlorine, like dosing them up with, with the chlorine, you know, in a spray bottle, you know, as you, as you would the pool, but a little bit stronger. But I, I didn't know if that's going to affect the grass or, or what. Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't go down that path. Uh, you might get away with it once. You might get away with it twice. Um, but I'd even be suspicious about that. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's going to build up in the soil. Um, you know, the, the chlorine could just burn the, the grass in the first place anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd definitely be steering away from that and just using, uh, like, the method that you were using with the soapy water and uh, get the birds to come in and have a bit of a feast uh, or using the, you know, the various chemicals that there are out there um, to do it. I think the most important thing when you're trying to treat army grub is um, to don't do it in the middle of the day um, when it's hot. And I know we're sort of moving away from that hot time now, but in the middle of the day, that's when they're going to go down deeper and have a little snooze. Um, you're best to uh, treat with the chemical when they're about to come up and feed for the night. So if you can go out there, you know, on dusk or even turn on some, you know, lights and head out to your lawn and give it a spray or, you know, the shaker packs or the watering can, whichever way you're going to do it. But I think the best thing to do is do it on that uh, that dusk period or even, you know, just as I said at night and give it the treatment. Then you're going to get a much better result than if you do it in the middle of the day um, yep. and they're down deep. Uh, it just the chemical just doesn't really get down to them. They're not active. Uh, so that's that's my suggestion. But I would definitely steer away from the chlorine. Um, great for your pool, but I, I really can't see how it's going to um, be a, a kindly thing uh, to your lawn over time. Okay, so I'll get on to it on dust. Thanks for that. Okay, good on you, Stephen. Thanks for the call. Bye. Cheers, bye-bye. So we've got Adele from Clarence Down, and her passion fruit on the vine just don't seem to be ripening this year. Afternoon, Adele. What's been happening? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm watching them grow and grow and they're so... I mean, they've only got about four. Uh, and I go, yes, 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 and then all the flowers fall off. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. How long do they take to ripen? Uh, look, I, I think what happens at this time, the best thing you can do is go out there and sort of shake your fist at it and go, gosh, you green passion fruits have ripened. But uh, even doing that's not going to make them ripen now that it's started oh, to cool okay. off. I have got a, a whole slurry of passion fruit uh, all over my backyard from this this vine that sort of uh, migrated from the neighbours. It's taken root in my place now. It's self seeded. It's done so many different things. It's you know trying to get the tawny frog mouth up in the up in the trees. It's that rampant. Oh. But 
I've got green ones all over it, and I know that oh. they're, they're just useless now. They're just going to fall off. Well, I don't feel so bad then if yours yeah. are green. <laughs> what happens if passion fruit's set, uh, you know, a little bit late, um, you know, here in, in the Hunter region, you know, around that January, February time? There's just yep. no time for them to actually um, oh. ripen up, you know, as it starts to get a bit cooler. What will happen, and this is my experience, is that they'll sort of just start to rot on the vine. They take away oh, any energy yeah. from the actual growth of the plant that yeah. you want to have happening at this point in time. Um, mine end up just attracting, you know, the old radicus radicus uh, into the backyard and um, because they just feast on them, you know, after a while when it's cold, oh, there's nothing else to eat. So yeah. my suggestion at this time of year is if you're not Look seeing any colour on your passion fruit, just pick them off um, and get rid of them. Oh, yeah, okay. they're, they're not what, going to ripen when up. Do they, when do they normally flower? Gen- uh, like fruit, uh, like January picking, gay yeah. black. Yeah, so yeah. really you need them to be setting their flower in October, you know, fruit oh. forming November, yeah. December, and then you'll get the ripening through January, February, March. But once we get to April, May, it's oh. it's all over Red Rover. It really is, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll stop watching them tenderly every day then. Yeah, so go out and shake your fist, see what happens there, curse them. Uh, but I don't think you're going to have any luck. Ah, oh, well, that's all right. I just thought I'd ask you and find out. I was hopeful, but no. Anyway. Yeah, Greg, Greg and I can come and shake our fists at them if you want and curse them. Well, that's but, all right. Uh, yeah. More fist shaking could be the better. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you very much, Scott. Okay, thanks for the call, Adele. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We've got Laurie now from Rayworth, and his frangipanis have stopped flowering. Doesn't sound like a good situation. Laurie, what's been happening? Oh, excuse me. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, G'day, mate. I'm sorry. I'd, um, yeah, I have a couple of frangipanis I've struck. In the first year or so, they've um, flowered nicely, and the last couple of years, they've decided not to. Okay. Uh, where have you got them now? You struck them. Were they uh, in pots first and now in the ground, or are they still in pots? Oh, I agree. Thank you. Um, my wallet there, too. You know. <laughs> uh, mate, I'll have a cappuccino. I think Greg, he wants a short black, so if you could organise that for us. Pastries no, as well. It's in the chemist and I ring. Oh, okay. Okay, I've got them in big pots. Yes. And, um, yeah, uh, I haven't fertilised them. I give them a drink every now and then, and they, they seem to be – the greenery is absolutely magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, I think, that, you know, to coin a phrase, therein lies your problem. Um, you know, they are in pots. Eventually, uh, you might start to run out of, you know, oomph, I guess, uh, for the plant. Um, so you're getting that green leafy growth. But uh, for a flower and a, a plant in a pot to flower nicely, it does need some fertilising. So you could just use an all-round fertiliser like Flourish. Uh, for your situation, I'd be more inclined to uh, grab some sulphate of potash and start using uh, that regularly and build it back up into the soil. Uh, you're not going to get much flowering now as we get towards the you know the period where they're going to lose their leaves. Oh, yeah, they're going dormant, so to speak. Yeah, so really don't worry about it too much at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to, say, uh, what's the month before August? July? Yep, July. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I know my Julian calendar off by heart. Uh, so when you get to July, start using um, some sulphate of potash. Uh, that'll yep. build up uh, in the soil. So as it comes you know, out of dormancy, August, September, starts to set some flower, there'll be some uh, energy in there that the plant can draw on to provide flowering for you. Um, so I think that, that's what's happened. It's just run out of potash in the, in the potting mix uh, and uh, you're just not getting any flowering. Hello? Yes, so um, yeah, that, so that's 
that's pretty much it. Sulfate of potash or some uh, liquid fertiliser will fix that up for you. You seem to have dropped out a bit. No, okay. Well, thanks for that, Laurie. Thanks for the call, mate. We've got Lynn now from Chisholm, and she has eggplants, but the leaves are being eaten, but the fruit seems to be all right. Lynn, tell us about uh, the little munches that uh, are having a go at your eggplants. Well, all the leaves have quite large holes in them, and I haven't noticed any um, snails or slugs, Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure what's eating them. Yeah, little baby grasshoppers can do things, but um, you can get caterpillars. They're quite prevalent on eggplants as well. Uh, And you can get those sort of those green ones that do the funny little curling bit as they walk, and they're quite hard to see. Um, So, look, I I think with eggplants, I'd actually be getting some dust. Um, You can dust on your eggplant, uh, and that should keep anything like that under control, any, uh, you know, sort of leaf-eating insect, uh, especially caterpillars, uh, and it's quite safe to use on uh, flowering and fruiting plants. So if you grab some, you know, the old-fashioned sort of tomato dust, uh, that's yep. going to do the job for you. Fantastic. And how do I know when the eggplant are ready to harvest? Ah, now this, uh, we might ask our, uh, our listeners for some help about this because I have never had any success in growing eggplants. Uh, oh, my gosh. I've yes. got heaps of them, and, and there's big ones and medium and small and more flowers coming on the vines. And, yeah. Oh, dear. See, I, I just gave up. I tried a couple of years, and then just it was a total failure for me, so I went, I'm never going to be able to do this at all, so I've never touched them after that. Uh, look, I, I would imagine, though, that um, you know they've, you know, they've gone ni- a nice, really deep purple colour, and it's when they start to... Um, feel you know slightly squeezy to the hand Um, that would be my bet with it Uh, but if anyone can help us out i'd uh, love to be uh disabused about the advice that i've just given (laughs) (laughs) okay sounds good okay thanks okay so keep listening lynn and hopefully we'll get someone call in and give us some advice about the ripening of eggplants excellent thanks so much thank you bye-bye and we've got gary from curry and he might be able to answer some questions with passion fruit for us hi gary how can we help you uh, g'day, fellas. Um, yeah, I heard you talking about passion fruits. Um, I've got a passion fruit vine that started off in the pot, two of them, went into the ground, and they grow unreal, but we don't get much fruit on it. And um, I'm wondering why. We get a few flowers that drop off, but mate, this thing's just covering the fence. And um, for the last two years, we've cut it right back after winter. Um, I'm just wondering what we're doing wrong. Yeah, I reckon you might need to fertilise that um, with some sulphate of potash as well. Um, that promotes the, the flowering and fruiting of, of a plant. Um, so, And when you said that the flowers are dropping off, so it might be that there's just not enough potash and it's just not a, a strong plant in that regard. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd uh, go down to your local garden centre, grab some sulphate of potash. Um, yep. Look, again, because it's out of the, uh, you know, the flowering season now, I'd wait until July... Uh, and then yep. start building it up in the soil. And it's not a product that you just use once and it's this magic cure-all. Unfortunately, it does essentially flow back down through the soil and wastes away. So it's one yep. of those things you have to keep on using regularly. Um, so I would be using that uh, you know, probably every month. And then once you get to about September, you could yeah. use it every two weeks uh, just to really build it up in the soil. Um, so yep. look, I think that's probably going to be your problem. Of course, um, you know, if... Was it a grafted one or a seed-grown one that you put in the in the pot, Gary? It was. They're both grafted. We've got one at each end of the bed. Okay. Um, 
and we do really hack into it. I was told to like hack it right back to some of the main branches, and I'm wondering if that's been a problem, but it grows back so well. Yeah, when are you actually giving it the old cutback, though? That could be the issue. Yeah, we, oh, we're doing that after winter, so I know that they're fruiting in summer. So we're doing it around September, October. Yeah, look, that, that should be all right. It, it should be coming back enough then to get some uh, flowering, um, you know, material on the plant. Uh, maybe just pull it back to August, you know, this time just to give it a little bit more of a chance and give it the sulphate of potash. They use that sort of two-limbed approach, uh, you know, to try and get some better fruiting out of it. Yeah, so it is a good idea to really hook into them. Yeah, look, it's not a bad idea. Maybe not as hard as you have been this time. Just give it a lighter shave back uh, and do it just that little bit earlier around the start of August so it gives it a bit more of a chance to get some flowering material growing. Great. Thanks a lot. I'll give that a go. Okay, good on you, Gary. Thank you for the call. No worries. Thank you. See ya. We've got another Steve from Dungog, and he's got a question about pumpkins. Hello, Steve. How can we help, mate? Hello, Scott. Yeah, um, I've got some dry pumpkins and they've got bone in some of them, in the pink pink ones, pink and grey. And um, I'm just wondering what causes the bone in the pumpkin. So when, when you say bone, it's just almost like the, it's gone very hard and dry inside the pumpkin? Yeah, in, in patches. It's not, not the whole pumpkin. You, you get um, a few patches in there that, that turns into real hard... Uh, you can't. You can cut it, but it takes a lot to cut it. Yeah. I, I, okay. Um, have you done a, a pH test in the soil where you're growing the plants? No. 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 No, yeah, I yeah, so I think I'd probably do a pH test uh, in the soil around where, you know, the, the root system of the actual plant is, not so much where it's run out to because I know they run a few metres, and just see, make sure that your pH there is neutral, that it's around that 7 mark. Um, you really don't want it to be, um, you know, sort of getting too alkaline uh, because they can be a little bit susceptible to alkalinity, so just make sure it's around that 7 mark. Um, the other thing you might be doing as well uh, is, you know, prior to planting, a couple of weeks prior to planting, getting some uh, cow manure, some good uh, compost into the area where you're actually going to plant the plants, dig it all through uh, and, and try and just build up the soil in that way. Um, look, also probably some sulphate of potash as well, just to promote your flowering. We've actually been talking about that quite a lot today. Uh, but what that's going to do is make sure that any flowering material and therefore the actual pumpkin plant uh, the, the fruit, pardon me, uh, is quite healthy as well. So I, I think you've got a bit of a, uh, you know, sort of a three-pronged attack there, um, you know, just to try and build up the soil in the area and then use that sulphate of potash uh, around planting time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that's, I haven't put any potash around it. I planted plants like seeds around with, um, like I had sawdust mixed into the ground and, and cow manure. Okay, good, good, that's fine. Uh, they, ran, they ran a fair way, sort of thing, they're climbing over everything, I'm getting yep. into trouble from the wife. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, look, always make sure it's well watered around the base of the plant uh, and uh, again, just do that pH test and to try and get a baseline to see what the uh, the pH of the soil is in the area. Yep, yep, righty, no worries. Thank, thank you very much for that. Okay, and thanks for the call, Steve, appreciate it. No worries. Okay, Thanks, Scott. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. It's a gardening talk back on 2NURFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. We've got Michael from Aberglassen, and he's got a question about the frangipani. Very good afternoon to you, Michael. How can we help? Yeah, good afternoon to you too, Scott. Um, I've got a question. I've got some frangipani trees in pots, large pots, and I would like to plant them. 
I've got a concrete patio and there are still posts along the veranda. And I wanted to know, would you suggest that I can plant them? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about whether the, the roots may be invasive. Uh, look, the, the root system of a frangipani isn't necessarily invasive as, as such, but over time, a frangipani can get into a large plant. You know, you can get three to four metres tall. Uh, they spread out quite a lot. Uh, the trunk can get very large. The branches can get very big and heavy. And you've got to imagine that if you've got a big canopy of a plant like that, you're also going to have a commensurately sized root system under the ground. That is, you know, the root system is going to spread out quite big as well. Um, so I, I would think putting it, you know, too close to the house uh, is not a good idea. Um, I would be wanting to keep that frangipani at least, you know, four to five metres uh, away from the house. Um, that would give the canopy, you know, enough room to spread out. It's probably going to get close to the veranda in the house anyway, um, if you, you know, over time. Um, but I, I really do think that you need to keep it, you know, a fair distance away from the house. They're not a plant that you're going to put up, uh, you know, within a metre or two metres, uh, you know, of a veranda or any sort of structure. It's just going yeah. to want to spread out. It's going to do some damage to that structure over time. So, yeah. uh, you know, at least five metres away from the house, that's what you'd be starting to think about when you're planting that type of plant. Okay, look, I've, yeah, I've got a rainforest garden and I think it's better I plant them into there. Look, I, I really do think so. Uh, is it getting some sun there, though? Because frangies do like to be out in the full sun. Um, yeah, that's the thing that we're always intending. It, it, uh, north facing. Yes. So, uh, but uh, yeah, there's plenty of uh, plenty of sun uh, in that garden area. But yeah, it's been a rainforest. It will have a canopy, so that limits the flowering, I guess. Uh, look, it, it will a little bit. Um, but you still might get some flower out of it. If you're planting next to the house, you want to put a you know more of a shrub-like plant. Um, you know, something's only get you know one to two meters tall. Um, yeah. yeah. To provide some greenery there. Nothing as big as a frangipani. Maybe a moraya or fetinia or something like that. Yeah, look, moraias and fetinias, uh, they're very good hedging plants. You can keep them down nice and low by hedging or pruning them back. Uh, again, a moraya, in fact, can get quite large as well uh, and an impossible bugger to dig out. I don't know if you've ever tried to dig one out if you want to, but, uh, yeah, really difficult indeed to get a machine of some sort in or a whole lot of elbow grease. Um, so... Look, there are a couple of plants you, you could put in near the house, but uh, you'd certainly want to keep them pruned down. You don't want them getting out of control because uh, both of them can get into large plants and difficult to get out if they, uh, you know, get out of control on you and start doing damage. Yeah, that's that's good. And the other thing, just uh, going back to the fringe pennies, what would you suggest in terms of um, nutrient in order to make help encourage flowering? Uh, yes, so sulphate of potash is perfect for the flowering of the frangipani. Uh, when you're going to plant it or prior to planting it in the ground, you dig some cow manure into the area, wait two weeks, uh, and then put uh, the plant into that into those uh, holes that you've dug. But uh, otherwise, yeah, sulphate of potash, uh, liquid fertiliser. But once a, a frangie gets uh, you know fairly well established, it should look after itself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they seem to be pretty hardy. Well, thanks for your help okay. and good information. Okay, thanks, Michael. Appreciate yeah, the call. We've got Craig now from Charlestown. He wants to get rid of some agapanthers. Good afternoon, Craig. How are we? Good, mate. You want to move some agapanthers around? Well, 
Yeah, is there another way other than hitting them with a flamethrower or hitting a bulldozer in to get them out? Well, look, you can pick up the old mattock as well. Um, you know, be prepared to get some blisters on your hands because they can be quite difficult to, to sort of dig out. But uh, you can move them around very successfully and thin them out. Um, as you know, they're a, a plant that's as tough as nails, so you can dig them out. You can split the, you know, the sort of the clumps, the, those sort of weird um, almost tubers that they get on them and replant them. They look a bit sick and sad for, you know, a couple of months, but then they, they oh, come back. I don't back. want to replant them. Oh, you I just want rid of them. them. <laughs> I want them gone. <laughs> yeah. So have you got a, a really, really big comp, have you, Craig? Oh, I've got – it's massive and it's just getting bigger and it's growing like – they're grown in behind my rock wall and my concrete steps, and they've pushed my rock wall off like I can't get them out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so it, it might be something that you have to get some sort of machine in there to dig them out uh, because, okay. you know, if you try and do it by hand, it, it it just might be that you just don't get enough of them out and they start to regrow again and come back. But, yeah, uh, yeah look, unfortunately, that that is a big job, and they're... Um, they're not, you know, difficult to dig out. They're just a bit nasty to dig out because they they clump up so much, and um, you know they just take over the ground. Um, they're soft when you're digging them with the mattock or whatever. You'll sort of, you know, hammer them out. Um, but then you, you, you know, you can sometimes leave bits and pieces in there that are going to regrow. So if you can get a machine in to do it and take out, you know, a fair, you know, decent layer of soil, um, you know, in underneath the plants, and then re, you know, put some fresh soil back in there or repair your your rock wall. Unfortunately, that might be the best way to go. Yeah, I'm not a green thumb. I'm a, I'm I'm the fan of the Italian backyard, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. concrete, concrete everywhere. <laughs> no, 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 ra- no racial stereotypes. But uh, I have seen some of those backyards in the past. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> Good on you, Craig. Thanks, mate. And we've got Brian from Adamstown. He's got a question about the kangaroo paw. Good afternoon, Brian. How can we help you, mate? Well, I've got a kangaroo paw in a, in a pot. I'd give it two drinks a day. Yes. And I'll feed it with um, slow-release fertiliser. Is there anything else I could use? Yeah, look, the other thing you could use is a native-specific fertiliser. What about uh, blood and bone? Yeah, blood and bone's a really good soft fertiliser to use uh, for uh, native plants. It, it won't harm them. It's a really nice, gentle fertiliser. The only thing I was thinking of, though, is that you want you know, you know, want your kangaroo to pour to flower a little bit, and I don't know that the blood and bone's going to help that so much. That's why I'd be, uh, you know, sort of jumping down your local garden centre and getting a native-specific um, fertiliser. Uh, look, there's there's quite a few out there on the market, Um and I would just use that. It's going to promote the, the flowering of the plant for you as well as the growth and nice and safe to use in a pot. Always, when you're at your garden centre, they just explain what you're going to use it for. Uh, tell the, you know, your, your helpful person there that you go, the plant is in a pot and they'll be able to guide you to the, uh, you know, the best fertiliser to get. All right, thanks, Arkid. Okay, that's great. Thank you for that, Brian. All right, see you later. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. We've got Tony now from Birmingham Gardens, and he's got a question about the frangipani. Hello, Tony. How can we help you with the frangipani? Yeah, um, I've had a frangipani on and off over the years, um, and I wondered, is it possible, like you know you can get yellow-flowered ones and pink-flowered ones, is it possible to graft a branch of a pink one onto a yellow so you get both flowers on the tree? Uh, I guess theoretically it's possible. Uh, I'm not really sure 
how you would do that though, just for the sheer weight of the branches on a frangipanian, trying to support it so that it would, uh, you know, the graft would take. Um, oh, I was thinking of just a small graft, like I've got a, um, I've got a, a yellow frangipani in a pot, which is totally root bound, so it's pretty yes. stunted. And thinking when we move house, I'll put it in the ground. But now would be a decent time you could branch, you could graft like a, just a 12 inch piece. And it would then grow and be probably a third of the tree or something, you know, as it grew up. Yeah, look, I, I, look, there's, there's theoretically no reason why you can't do it. Um, I've never seen it done before, but um, look, yeah, give it a try and see how you, if you can support that that branch. What I yeah. have seen done um, though is, you know, people cheat a little bit. They, you know, if they want to get this sort of dual-coloured plant, they'll plant, you know, a yellow one and a pink one, you know, oh, in, yeah. in very close proximity to each other. Over time, right. they intermingle as they get bigger and bigger, and it, it gives the appearance that there's a, you know, like a, a plant with two different colours on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes right. you see that with roses and other, you know, other plants as well. But look, give it yeah. a try. Always, uh, always happy to hear a bit of it, about a bit of an experimentation and, you uh, um, yeah. Work, so I'll be sure to try and get get a message back to you and let you know. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You might have hit upon something and uh, you'll make a million dollars. Doubt that. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you. Okay, thanks for the call. Cheers. Thanks, Tony. Cheers. Thanks, Tony. It's Guarding Talk back on 2 and your FM. Scott Sharp, almost out of time for another week. But is there anything you want to mention before? What was the, the top of the other came from yes, Papua the, New Guinea. Oh, yes, we'll talk about the New Guinea impatience. Uh, look, they were just a, a really popular plant, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, so many different colours. And I was uh, sort of lurking, well, I wasn't lurking, I was driving, <laughs> it sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it? I was driving around the other day and I saw a, uh, a really nice uh, garden with some planters of New Guinea impatience. They looked just fantastic. Uh, these were pinks. Uh, they're very, very prunable plant. They will tolerate being in the full sun, but they need to be watered quite well. Yep. Best for a bit of part shade. Lots of different colours. You can get oranges, whites. Always cheap to buy as well because, uh, you know, in the past you could get them as seedling plants. Uh, you can strike them as well. So if you've got a friendly neighbour who has some, um, you know, grab a couple of slips and you'll be able to strike those quite nicely. Uh, yeah, like great in pots. Great for... Uh, uh, like a big mass planting as well. If you want to cover up a big area uh, in in the garden, they'll uh, do really well there. Um, you can give them a big hack pack, and they will just flower and flower for you almost right through winter. Oh, excellent! A nice little winter plant to have. Yeah, look, I, I think as you go further up the valley and you start to get a bit of frost and cold, not going to do so well. But uh, certainly on the coast, a great plant to have out in the garden. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. We'll catch you again in two weeks' time. Uh, yes, I think it's a week off. It is. We get. A little extra long weekend off. A snooze. A snooze. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>